Father, our sins are so, so many. But even if they weren't our sin, born in it, is enough to keep us from glory. But Lord, Your mercy, Your loving kindness is more. Father, I pray that everyone here this morning might be able to take comfort from the knowledge that the sin of yesterday, this morning, this afternoon, last year, a lifetime ago, is in the bottom of an ocean, cannot be found. Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers it and brings us into right relationship with His Father, the very God of the universe. We are so grateful and thankful. We praise You. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I, I want to make a couple of remarks before I begin my sermon. Number one is that I had mentioned that to the Jewish reader, when they heard about the candlesticks and the lights, they would have undoubtedly imagined a menorah. So we have a little menorah here. It has two lights on it, one for Ephesus and then one today for the church at Smyrna. The second thing, and this is for the geeky, <laughs> today is a calendarific day. Some of you know what I mean. You think that's because it's the Super Bowl. And it is. It is also Groundhog Day. I, I actually toyed with preaching my last week's sermon and wondered <laughs> if you got the sense that we were doing it over and over again. But for those uh, among us who know what a palindrome is, this is the first time in a thousand years that we have one of these and likely... Uh, It'll be another thousand before we have it again. A palindrome is that which is uh, forward and backward is the same, right? So today's date is 02022020, February the 2nd, 2020. And you can say that forwards and backwards and you come up with the same date. So there, now you, uh, now you know. So I feel like praying again. <laughs> On Sunday, it was October 31st, 2010, uh, Barb and I had just finished church and then we enjoyed a, a nice lunch. And I had for some time been feverishly working on my uh, doctoral dissertation. It was a pleasant day, no rain, it was an ordinary day. So I went back to my office on Fort Jackson, South Carolina to get my uh, required a uh, page a day, that's what I was doing, it was a page a day, seven days a week. And I was able to think deeply about ministry. About three hours earlier than that, 6,000 miles away in Baghdad, several hundred Christians had gathered for evening worship. 
But then five gunmen broke in, and in a matter of seconds, uh, moments at best, 53 men, women, and children lay dead, scores more wounded, and all of them emotionally scarred for life. I want to mention one story from that day. It's the story of Um Adam, Adam, the mother of Adam. She and her husband Uday and their son Adam and their other son, 11 months old, went to church as Christians have gone to church in Iraq since the second century. When the terrorists stormed into the church, Uday was one of those who was killed immediately. And Um Adam, she shielded her 11-month-old son, and in the panic and in the rush, their three-year-old son, Adam, was separated from her. Adam, the three-year-old, began shouting in Arabic, Kafi, Kafi, which is enough, enough, stop, stop. And as Um Adam crawled toward her, a gunman stood over Adam going, Kafi, Kafi, and shot him, and he killed him. Then he turned to her and he said, we leave you alive so that you might suffer. It wasn't just in Baghdad. I don't know if you've followed much of this. But by July 19th in 2014, there wasn't a single known Christian left in uh, Mosul. Iraq. The city had a church, an unbroken church history for over 1,800 years. In fact, over the last decade, though, 87% of Iraq's once thriving 1.5 million Christians are gone. Today, the number remaining is fewer than 250,000. The number of those martyred in the thousands, the number of refugees over a million, the number of those kidnapped and sold into slavery, unknown. And that's the facts of only one country of the many countries that are hostile to Christianity. According to aid to the Church in Need and the Institute of Eastern Christian Studies, in the absence of massive interventions in Iraq, Christianity will disappear from Iraq in fewer than five years. One of the longest churches unbroken since antiquity, said to have been started by Thaddeus, a stronghold of ancient Christianity will soon be gone. You know, in the West, we, uh, we know little of persecution for our faith. That's a different story worldwide. In 2019, 4,305 people were killed 
specifically because of their faith. Many more Christians died violently, but this was specifically because they trusted in Christ. 1,847 churches and Christian institutions endured physical attack and assault. 3,100 plus have been detained without trial, arrested, imprisoned, and sentenced. And so while I sat in relative ease and comfort, many of my brothers and sisters in Christ were just simply trying to survive. Now, I don't say that to produce any kind of guilt in me or anyone else, but only to give them a voice. I mean, it's, it's one thing for a hero of the faith, such as Jim Elliot, to say he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But he was a missionary. It's another thing to say in the Air Force with the pararescue teams who go into harm's way and their motto is that others may live. These people are trained. Those folks in Iraq were just attending church like we are right now. They weren't in the jungles. They weren't in the military. They weren't called on this. But I'll tell you what, that's where church leaders have failed for many, many years now. When Barb's mom lay dying and Barb was seeking comfort and I was in Italy, she asked me what could be done. And I gave her a verse, Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, but also suffer. That is, when we're dealing with death, you have to understand that that is the time when you realize that we are eternal creatures. And yet most of us believe in our hearts that we're earthbound. This is not our home. Today, it's not too difficult to find preachers and evangelists, Christian self-help books that uh, tell us that when we faithfully serve Jesus, our heart's desires will be met. Trouble and sorrow will flee. Our marriages and our children will be perfect. Our dreams will be fulfilled. Uh, That is not true. I hope you understand that is not true. For too many of us, our faith looks like a bargain with God. You know, hey God, if you treat me well, I'll serve you. (laughs) Rather than simply being submissive to God. So we're stunned and we're dismayed when life doesn't turn around our expectations. And it's at that point precisely that we need to open our Bibles and understand that Jesus never, ever promised that we would be problem-free. He never promised that we 
would not suffer. In fact, Matthew 5 tells us that we would be blessed when we are mocked and persecuted and lied about because we're His followers. Grammar is important. He says, when we are mocked, when we are persecuted, when we are lied about, we will be blessed. It doesn't say if. It's a fact. It will happen in your life if it hasn't happened already. Now, our nation's uh, Judeo-Christian heritage founding has insulated us truly from how cruel the world can be. And we as Christians remain acceptable in our society. Those days, biblically speaking, are numbered. The same had been true for a fair number of years with the church in Smyrna. It was tolerated at first, but it ended up being the persecuted church. The Christians there were solid. They were spiritual. They were dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, and yet they were suffering. They were financially poor, and they were being slandered every day. But the risen Christ didn't give him a pep talk. (laughs) He didn't say, cheer up. Things will get better. Cheer up. It could be worse. What he said was, cheer up. Things are going to get worse. Listen to the words from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. The Apostle John writes, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes, the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. So John wrote this letter in order to commend the believers at Smyrna. He wanted to commend them for their endurance as they suffered as they lived in poverty and as they were being slandered, all for the sake of Jesus. And he also wanted to exhort them to continue that even unto death. Now, historians tell us that Smyrna was a beautiful place. I mean, Ephesus had uh, a, a high place. The Romans viewed it as this high place, as I mentioned last week. But Smyrna was called the Jewel of Asia. It was a seaport, very nice seaport. Google it sometimes. It's just a beautiful place. Perhaps some of you have have been there. Yeah, it's not called it's not called Smyrna anymore. Anybody know what it's called? It's Izmir. Yeah, I heard that. Izmir, and uh, it had then a population of about a hundred thousand. Today, it has uh, over four million in terms of their population. And its name, you'll hear it. You'll you'll it'll be clear once you make the connection, but Smyrna 
means bitter. It actually is made from the word myrrh. And we've seen, we've seen a form of this word before when we went through the book of Ruth. Naomi says, no longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for I am bitter. But the fragrance isn't bitter. So why is it, why is it a reference to bitterness? I'll tell you why. It's because it has from antiquity, from prehistory, in terms of written, been associated with embalming of the dead. That's the thing that they use. Myrrh is fragrant perfume, but it's this notion that it's connected with taking care of the dead. And it's true fragrance, and this is a fact. You can get some myrrh and you can try this if you want. The fragrance is only released when it's crushed. A very interesting thing in the text, it says about tribulation, persecution. The word actually means crushed, under under the weight. It means to be crushed under the weight. And the pressure on the church in Smyrna was trying to crush Christianity out of them. In Smyrna, they were Romans. They were Romans, Romans. Uh, strongest allies. They built a temple to Rome uh, called the Spirit of Rome. And what they had in there was a statue of uh, Caesar. In this case, they had others, of course, but this was Domitian at this time. And every Roman had to go before the statue and there was a laver in front of it that had a fire They had to take a little pinch of incense and throw it in the fire and say, Caesar is Lord and God. Upon doing that, you received a certificate. And this certificate allowed you to buy and sell in the market. It allowed you to gather the resources to build, to conduct commerce, to travel freely, to be involved in all aspects of Roman life, and without this certificate, you could not function. And not only that, if you didn't do it, this began under Domitian too. They felt this way almost since Julius, but they used small g. Domitian was nuts. I mean, this guy, big G, right? Capital L, capital G. He wanted you to worship him, and so it was under the threat of death if you refused to do this. And they would uh, put them to the wild beasts if they would not. Every quarter or so, we don't know exactly how often, uh, but if you've watched any gladiator movies, you know that there was no such thing as like a permanent gladiator, right? They traveled. So they had a little traveling show. They had the gladiators and the beasts and the whatnots, and they would go. All they needed to the places they went was a space and people to kill. That, that's the way they did So every quarter or so, one of these things would come through, and they would get the prisoners 
uh, out of jail and they would reenact battles and this sort of thing, but all for the purpose of the gladiators weren't supposed to die. It's a very rare event where the gladiators actually fought each other to die. That was a big, that was big stuff. Yeah, they would kill enemies and, and other folks. One of the things that they loved to do was to bring the Christians in. Interestingly enough, it wasn't so that they would kill them. Not at first. It was so that they could humiliate them. So how would they humiliate them? They would get them in there. They would bring a little statue of Domitian. They would put a little laver in front of it. They had a fire in it. And they would just say, hey, take a little pinch. Throw it in there and say, Caesar is Lord and God. Everywhere they went, listen to me. Everywhere they went, the Christians would take a pinch, throw it in, and say, Caesar is God. Yeah. Until they got to Smyrna. So they went to Smyrna. This started a big persecution, by the way. So they get to Smyrna. And they bring the first Christian out, and everybody thinks they're going to humiliate him. It's part of their little process. And uh, they say, throw the incense, and, and then uh, say, Caesar is Lord and God. The first guy says, no. This is unusual. What do you mean, no? Yeah, you, you know we're going to, like, kill you if you... Don't, you don't actually have to believe this. Just say it. No. He says, okay, we're going we're gonna to feed you to the beasts. And he said, here I am. Release them. And then you had the next guy. And they said, worship Caesar or die. Make this little oath. This guy didn't say a word. He just lifted up his head like this. Look up to heaven and expose his neck. So they killed him, both of them. And then the proconsul, he said, who in the world is teaching these people so that they would die over such a stupid thing? You have to understand, the Romans were polytheists. You're just adding another God. Who cares, right? Just do this thing, get your certificate and go home. You know, I'm going to go worship Jupiter or whoever else is, is out there in the pantheon. And so they said, well, it's a man named Polycarp. Now, I, I know that sounds like a lot of fish, but it's, it's poly, which means many, and carp, karpos. So they shortened the name, but that is the Greek word for fruit. So this means much fruitfulness. That's what, his, that's what his name meant. And so they went after him and they said, okay, here's the way this is going to go. You're going to put in some incense. You're going to say Caesar is Lord and God and that's going to be that. The problem was with the proconsul, he kind of was scratching his head a little bit because when Polycarp shows up, he's 86 years old. And it's like, uh, even the pagans had a hard time killing 86-year-old people. It's like, this is, not, this is not right. Listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to act your age. That's what he said. I want you to act your age 
and exercise some wisdom. You don't have to believe this. You just have to do it. And so Polycarp says, hey, listen, maybe you don't understand who I am. Let me tell you, I am a Christian. And I will not worship Caesar. So the proconsul said, we will feed you then to the beasts. And he said, release them. And then he says, well, we'll burn you at the stake. And he said, there's wood, gather it. (laughs) And he went to the platform to be martyred. And they usually nailed the victims to the stake because the fire gets going, you're going to run. You will flee. And here's what he said. He said, let me be as I am. For he who makes it possible for me to endure the fire will also make it possible for me to remain unmoved. And they did. And he did. And so 1,865 years ago, this month, Polycarp was martyred in Smyrna. Now you may be wondering, so what? Part of the so what is this. Polycarp was the Apostle John's disciple. John himself appointed Polycarp as an elder in the church in Smyrna. So the man who wrote the book of Revelation was writing in many ways about a spiritual son. Now Jesus had no criticism of this church at all. Uh, They were only about 35 miles away from Ephesus, whom, you know, Jesus, as you'll recall, condemned for them losing their first love, but He had no such complaint against Smyrna. Instead, it's an amazing thing. All these churches, each one of the seven churches, He takes a phrase or something out of chapter 1 that described himself, that was relevant to that church, and he put it in there. So in the church of Smyrna, he focuses their eyes on him, and he says, I am the first and the last who died and came to life. So I want to pull a few lessons out of this for us. First is understand that it is not easy to suffer. The ESV doesn't use this word. It uses the word painful. I love the King James. It says that no try. It's, it's grievous. It's, it is something that is, is, in fact, crushing and hard and difficult. But the second part of that is that Jesus not only knows your suffering, He led the way. The worst that can be done was done to Him. 2 Timothy 3.12 reminds us that they uh, that live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is I'm going to make a statement that's hard for us to get our arms around. But according to the best research, more Christians have been martyred for Jesus Christ in our generation than in any other generation in the history of the church. 
today. This is not Polycarp 1,800 years ago. This is Adam. This is Uday. This is a thousand other names in just one country and more. that had been killed very early in the church. The Roman government had been their friend. The reason they were their friend is it's an interesting thing. It's because they thought they were a sect of Judaism. And Judaism, as much as they didn't like them, was actually a sanctioned religion. So you had the protection of Rome if you were a Jew, unless you were, you know, revolting in... uh, over in the Middle East there. But you could live in Rome as a Jew with no no problem. So there was a revolution after Masada uh, by, with a fellow by the name of Bar Kokhba. And when that happened, Israel ceased to be a nation. It was only then that the Romans discovered that the Christians weren't a Jewish sect, but that the Christians were something completely different. They may have come from Judaism, but they were not a part of Judaism. And so that's when the pressures really began on the church. But Jesus wants them to know, and He wants us to know, that whatever suffering you have endured, or will endure, or will experience, He has already led the way. The risen Christ is the one who has experienced death, but now He lives. And because He lives, we too shall live. No matter what might happen in Smyrna or in our lives, our Savior has already gone through the worst that life can bring. And oh, by the way, we don't even know. I don't think we can even enter into what it meant for Him to pay the price for our sin. God's mercy is... Simply astonishing. But He's always there, we're told in Hebrews, to come to us. He's a compassionate. He understands. He gets it. Second, we find here one of the greatest contrasts in all of the Bible. He says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Now, Greek has two very distinct words to talk about poverty. Uh, the, the first word that means that you don't have anything extra, right? So you got low-speed internet. You know, you got the cheapest thing on your phone that you can you can get. Going out means going to McDonald's or White Castle. Before I think that went under now. So you may remember may, may remember those. That's not the word that was used here. The word that's used here means destitute. It means uh, indigent. It means that you are essentially on the street. You have little. You have nothing. You are on the bottom of the economic ladder. And yet Christ assured them that even though they were poor and had nothing, they were nevertheless rich in spiritual things. J.R.R. Tolkien, if you don't know by now, next to Lewis, it depends on the day, he's my favorite writer. 
He wrote, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. So they didn't glitter. They didn't have any of the things that would say we're rich. And yet, in the Lord's eyes, they were fantastically rich. It should take our minds to Matthew 6. Don't store treasures on earth. Why? You can't take it with you. Store your treasures in heaven. Third, I know about the slander. So he knows about the persecution and the suffering. He's with you. He knows about the poverty. He thinks you're rich. But he also knows about the slander. I only want to say one thing. And I'll make this statement twice just because it so astonishes me. It is remarkable what hate will make someone do. It makes them nutty. It makes them crazy. Polycarp himself, before he was himself martyred, talked about the other martyrs in Smyrna. And he said this about these Smyrna Jews. They were the ones who were turning the Christians over to the Romans. And he said they were fastidious. That's a big word that means they were picky, right? They were on it. They had the law and they were following the law precisely, exactly, and in every way except when it came time to burn a Christian on the Sabbath and they would gather the wood. And you know, should know, how the Jews in that time felt about collecting wood on the Sabbath. For them, it was no problem. Isn't it amazing? Hate will make you turn over your own faith in order to get at the object hated. It is stunning what hate will do to the mind. The fourth, we see the promise. The promise that Jesus Christ Himself made to Smyrna. I know, He says, I know you're persecuted, poor, and lied about. But here's the good news in verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil, I mean, the, the devil is doing this will throw some of you into prison and put you to the test. You will be persecuted for ten days. Now, whether this is a literal ten days or ten persecutions or some other figure, at this point, it is the main point that remains through all of that. And that is this. It won't last. It's only for a moment. It may seem like a long time, but it will pass. Now, it would be wonderful if that was the promise itself. You know, the sun will come out tomorrow. (laughs) But that's not the promise. The promise is not that, hey, if you persevere, if you wait long enough, if you overcome these challenges... You will be victorious over persecution, illness, and abuse, or whatever it may be in your life, but that's not the promise. The 
promise is, I will give you the crown of life. In other words, the full overcoming of this may be after death. That's the promise. Not everyone who is persecuted for Christ's name will suffer economic harm. Not everyone will be put in prison. Not everyone will be put to death. But many will. So whatever the reference is, it won't last and He will see you through it. And this promise is, uh, obviously, it's not just for those who lived 2,000 years ago. Here's our, uh, it's to us. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the, anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. It's a masterly understatement. It is absolutely perfection. Essentially, Jesus is saying the first death may hurt. It may hurt you briefly, but the second one not at all. And we we must reflect as a church on these words. In 2018 just to stay with the churches in Asia Minor, Turkey. After two years of Turkish imprisonment, Pastor Brunson, many of you would know his name, he had been falsely accused of being a part of a, a coup. We actually had a, one of our Air Force generals was caught up in this nonsense as well. President Erdogan was a little bit paranoid at that point. So they put him in jail as part of this great conspiracy to take over the country. And thankfully, in 2018, uh, he was released. Put in jail in 2016, released in 2018. The Washington Examiner reports this about what he said upon his return. He said, first of all, I think it's coming to the U.S. that there will be persecution. I was isolated for a few years and coming back to the States was almost like coming back to a different country. And I'm astounded at the speed with which I think the U.S. is imploding. Uh, Barb and I felt this way when we were gone for five years in the Middle East and we came back and we we were stunned. We've reacquainted frog in a pot, right? One might argue that persecution is alive and well in America with the attempts to purge Christianity from the government, muzzle state officials, employees, all of that in Hollywood, my goodness. Now, there is a certain slice of Hollywood that has figured out you can make money. So money is more important right now than hatred, but there'll come a day when hatred will overrule money. Yet, as frightening as the prospect may seem seem of persecution coming to this country, it is clear, and no right mind wants that. Christians should not seek to be persecuted, but should endure when persecuted. But historically speaking, persecution has always had a positive and profound effect and impact on believers. It strengthens us. Believe it or not, it turns us to God and to His Word and to the eternal things, away from the earthly things that we see. 
as Philippians 1 9, as I read before, for it has been granted, granted, it's been gifted to us. I have no idea what that means. But I know that God thinks highly of it. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Granted by the King of kings, by the Lord of lords, by the sovereign of the universe. Brothers and sisters, as the word says, do not count it strange when these things come, but patiently endure whatever tribulation, whatever trial, whatever slander you may be going through right now. The Lord is with you. Father, we are, well, we just stand amazed. We understand that the church will be persecuted. In some places, it has been for many, many years. Father, I pray that that we would, in the moments of its arrival, not be dismayed, but be encouraged that the Lord has told us these things must be. We pray that you would strengthen us and help us, encourage us. We need you now more than ever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.